Dynasty Bulls podcast. Nick Hales is a rescue partner, and Joshua Johnson is here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bulls, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins. Wagner, Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing fine. A little rainy here in South Dakota, but that's that's all right. We're getting by. Just got done planting some flowers, make the wife happy when she comes home from work today. You know, that that sort of thing. Just we're doing good. But uh, welcome to the uh, the first of a uh, first post-draft show of 2015. Um, obviously, a whole lot to get to. Uh, our main focus today is going to be the wide receivers and where we see the, the those rookie wide receivers' fantasy values and how they changed over the weekend now that they have their their jerseys, their, their fins, their bolts, uh, whatever you want to say. Um, so it's going to be our main focus today. We'll do a little recap and talk about some potential undrafted free agents that we'd like as well. Um, uh, going to do a dynasty dilemma, but like we always love to do. We're going to go running back this week since we're covering wide receivers pretty heavily. Then I think we'll go wide receivers next week. But today we're going to – we're pitting um, Tevin Coleman versus TJ Yeldon. That should be interesting now that they, of course, have landing spots. But uh, this is uh, – I'm calling it uh, rookie wide receiver rookie impact. This is kind of a whole series that we're going to be doing. Uh, Bill Servi, our content director, has really taken the lead with this whole impact report that we're going to be pumping out all month long. Uh, there's going to be a whole series of articles about a lot of top players in the draft. And uh, each week here on the podcast, we're going to cover a different position too. So look forward to that the whole month of May as uh, we decipher what the uh, what exactly happened this weekend? Um, another thing that we're really excited about here at Dynasty Pulse is we recently launched our uh, Insider membership. Now you can get that Insider membership plus the 2015 rookie kit, thirty bucks. Um, you can also get the just the Insider membership prescription for twenty five and just the rookie draft for ten. Uh, here at DFW, it's where football Dynasty football is a way of life. You can dominate your league for just basically two dollars a month. So. Check it out. That's 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 awesome. Uh, membership includes all access to inside insider-only articles on Dynasty Redraft Daily and IDP, which is over a thousand articles per year. We're going to be pumping out three per day on average. Um, Dynasty expert rankings updated every month. Those are up and running now for the month of May post-draft. So go there and check that out. Uh, after draft position. Uh, yes, average draft position update data, uh, 2015 projections, in-season rankings, rookie film room, so much more. 24-7 access to DFW staff via email on roster advice, trade, drafts, rebuilds, waivers, uh, commission assistance advice, bylaws, scoring, set up new leagues on MLS. Um, the rookie guide, like we said, is just $10 a la carte or $5 when bundled with the insider membership PDF emailed to you. Uh, that is so awesome. I, I, I'm only about halfway through it. It's just so much information. I absolutely love it. Uh, Alan Satterley and his crew put that together, so make sure you check that out. Uh, expanded in 2015, we're going to include uh, more players in the top 10 uh, IDP, all crisply summarized with keynotes from every player 
on their background, main stats, weaknesses, and key college stats. That's what's all included in the rookie rookie thing. Up to 140 players at the skill positions, over 106-page PDF, 41,000 words of rookie insights, over 100 hours of research and analysis boiled down for your NFL draft day enjoyment. Obviously, draft is over, but uh, it's fun to go back and look at see kind of your strengths and weaknesses of these players and how that's going to translate to uh, to their new team. All these uh, combine, excuse me, they're all going to also have combine recaps of all skill position players at the combine, included in the guide along with updates after the NFL draft and adjustments made through training camp and preseason. So it's going to be constantly updated. So make sure you come keep checking back for that. Uh, all three membership options will get you entered into multiple DFW contests and giveaways. Each purchase will get you an entry into the raffle for a brand-new iPad, newest model, which will be awarded during halftime of the 2015 Super Bowl, excuse me, 2016 Super Bowl, via secure third-party raffle software. You'll get entry into the DFW one-week free roll tournament on, excuse me, week one free roll tournament on FanDuel or DraftKings, where we will, where you receive a, where you receive two hundred dollars. You also gain entry into the DFW Survivor Contest. Over the course of the 2015 season, where the last team standing will receive two hundred dollars. So, nice little opportunity for you to win your money back there. So, like I said, a whole lot of fun things going on. Uh, but Nick, uh, we had this thing called the NFL Draft that happened last weekend. Uh, before we get to some winners and losers, just kind of any any existential thoughts or overall feelings about this draft? Well, you know, to me, one of the most interesting stories about the NFL draft or around the NFL draft was the guy that didn't even get drafted in Lyle Collins. You know, I don't understand why the NFL wouldn't let him withdraw his name from the draft pool and to, so that he would be able to legally clear his name of all wrongdoing in the in the murder case and then come back into next year's draft and get paid the way he should have been paid as a first-round pick, the way he performed at uh, LSU. I, I didn't think that was fair at all. Um, yeah, you know, I guess I haven't read up a whole bunch on that particular subject myself. I do think, yeah, uh, like you said, he should have uh, the opportunity, especially if he's an innocent man, to uh, to gain the status that he, that he should have been able to. I, I mean, I think he was a first-round pick. Personally, he was my favorite offensive lineman in the entire draft. It was just kind of a, a weird happenstance, and you know, you know, if he's if he's guilty or not, you know, if he's not, obviously somebody's trying to trying to do something to him. But like I said, I don't know a whole lot on the subject. I haven't read too much on it, so I'm not going to not going to get into that. But uh, 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 bad timing for him and uh, and uh, his people involved, and hopefully he will, uh, you know, make it with the team and and move forward and. And be be the player that I know he can be. So, a um, couple things that I found really interesting. Um, obviously, it's been talked about already, but Dallas not taking a running back. Uh, uh, Sean Kirby, our IDP uh, Reverend, I forget what I call him. Our ID our IDP uh, guru, Reverend, whatever. A uh, little surprised. He was a little surprised. San Francisco and Chicago did not take an inside linebacker. Obviously, San Francisco losing Borland and Willis had surprised me too. I think they had some really pressing needs because they had basically no defensive ends, and they did that with Eli Harold and Eric Armstead. I like both of those both of those pickups, um, and I think that's going to help them. But yeah, and obviously we they know no more. Excuse me, they know more about the health of Navarro Bowman uh, going in. 
So uh, I guess he's going to be the man there in the middle, and uh, we'll we'll see what else they do with the other with the other inside linebacker spot. Um, a little surprised San Diego did not take a wide receiver. Uh, I know they don't necessarily need wide receivers, um, but uh, they have Stevie Johnson and Malcolm Floyd. They're they're not you know necessarily young anymore. They do have Keenan Allen, who's got a nice future ahead of him. But you think you know with losing. Eddie Royal and a couple other guys that didn't really contribute. You think they would just want a little more depth and they could have taken somebody late with a lot of upside, like a Desmond Lewis, who, you know, is going to be, let's face it, rotting on the, on the bench in Buffalo because they're not even going to throw the ball. Um, I'm just a little surprised by that move. Also, St. Louis not taking a wide receiver until the sixth round. I think some kid by the name of Bud Sasser, who they think is going to be a great special teams contributor. I think that's all they have on on that on that offensive season round. Their wide receiver core is guys that contribute on the special teams, whether it be returns or whatnot. Uh, I guess uh, Kenny Britstock continues to go up in my mind. I've been taking him at the end of a lot of mocks, and I they don't have any other options at this point. So I just just a little a little surprised by those positions there as a whole um uh nick any other thoughts or we can just go right into who you think had the worst draft uh well i'll just give you one more thought uh i loved the the trade up that the giants pulled off to get the number one pick in the second round and get landon collins the top the guy i thought was the top safety in the draft thought that was a great move by the giants but uh, moving into our uh, biggest losers in the draft, I got three teams here for you. Uh, first off, I'm going to go Minnesota. You know, it's not that I dislike their first round pick, uh, the cornerback Trey Waynes, and they got pretty good value in the second round with the middle linebacker Eric Kendricks, who was their other linebacker, Anthony Barr's college teammate. So, you know, why do I call them losers? Because last year they drafted Teddy Bridgewater in the first round. If you draft a quarterback in the first round, you got to get him weapons. You know, they went defense with their first three picks, offensive line in round four, and then finally in the fifth round they got a tight end Michael Pruitt and a wide receiver Stephon Diggs, where they could have had a Teddy Ridgewater's college teammate wide receiver Devontae Parker in the first round. I just thought they should have done a little more to help out Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, another team I thought was a loser was Indianapolis. You know, normally I'm all about taking the best player available, but wide receiver Philip Dorsett in round one, you know, when they already have T.Y. Hilton, Andre Johnson, Dante Moncrief, uh, Deron Carter, they, they could have had Landon Collins there. I thought that would have been a great fit for the Colts. You know, at least in their defense, they did go with on the defensive side of the ball with five of their next six picks. But uh, to me, the biggest loser had to be Dallas. You know, if, if they had moved up to number 15 and got Melvin Gordon, you could pencil them in as the NFC East champions. You know, with San Diego originally at 17, they had to know that Melvin Gordon would not uh, last past the 17th pick. And instead, they didn't draft a running back at all. Wow. Uh, Randy Gregory in round two, he's a kind of a troubled kid. Uh, now he's going to be hanging out around Josh Brent and Greg Hardy. I can't see that as being any very good uh, role models for him. What do you think, Josh? I think they maybe have the same babysitter for Gregory that they have for uh, Des Bryant, I guess. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how, how that works out. Um, I I really don't know how I feel about Dallas not drafting a running back. I think they have a plan. You know, Chris Johnson's still out there. Uh, what about Ray Rice? I mean, is, is that way too far? <laughs> um, I mean, we know, you know, Dan made the point here on the podcast a couple weeks ago. We know what, how fragile Darren McFadden is, but he does actually have an offensive line now. And I, this is really, this is going to be a really deep dynasty dive but Lance Dunn, 
Lance Dunbar. If he can stay healthy, I think he can contribute in that game. I think Joseph Randall is a featherweight. He cannot do a darn thing. Um, and uh, they have Ryan Williams, too. I don't know if he's going to do anything. But I, I don't know. I, 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 I didn't have them at the worst draft. Um, I totally, before your, before your, I totally agree with your statement there about Landon Collins and the Giants. I didn't have them heroed my uh, my lukewarm best of our worst draft, but I love that pickup. I also love uh, the, the the guy from de- the defensive end from UCLA. I wish Oakland would have taken him in the second, uh, but they did not. I had that name pronunciation the other day for you, and I just I just lost it. I got nervous. I don't. I need to look at it again. I don't have it me. But I think the Giants did really well, and for a Redskins fan to really like that pick, you know they did really well. It's honestly, Nick's Nick's uh, even keel uh, NFL brain, not his Washington brain tell you that statement there so uh, i'm gonna go with green bay i i just every time i saw their pick i was just like what are they doing and then they traded up with brett hunley i love that landing spot for brett hunley if he could sit there and learn i'm saying he's going to be the next aaron Rodgers. you know that's that seems to be the theory there but i love that i love that thing there if he if he can stay you know focused and mature about the situation that he's in i think that could be really good and pay dividends for that team down the road um, St. Louis not drafting wide receiver and put that up just surprised me. I just I have them as the worst team too. I know they took Gurley with the first overall pick. That was not their biggest need. They had running backs on that team. Obviously, everybody thinks Gurley is you know the the once in a generation type of player. You know, best running back drafted since Adrian Peterson. Uh, been comparing him to Bo Jackson, Marcus Dupree. I I just. I like him. I do like him. I just feel like when you have a young running back in Trey Mason, granted you have to have a couple running backs in this league. Um, that was another interesting thing that I saw, Nick, um, in this draft. Every team that drafted a running back, I was just like, huh, they already have a young running back on that roster, you know, with the exception of Lankford maybe to uh, Chicago, and we're not going to see Jimmy Lankford for a couple of years, but that's okay. But, they, you know, they drafted Kadeem Carey last year too. I just thought that was interesting. Every team that drafted a running back already had a younger running back on the roster. So that's really telling you something about how NFL teams are valuing that uh, running back position, obviously, besides Dallas. Um, and, Nick, I really hate to throw their name in the hat here, but I just was not impressed with Washington's picks. And maybe it's just not the guys that I researched, uh, but every time I saw their pick, I was just like, who? Huh? That seemed kind of early on, on, on a lot of their players. Maybe you can expand on that, but I just – Unfortunately, it was not impressed. I wasn't totally impressed by my Oakland Raiders draft either, but I just I I, I worry for you, friend. What, what do you what do you got on the Washington draft? Yeah, I agree. I wasn't very high on it either. You know, Brandon Sheriff, I thought it was a reach with the fifth overall pick uh, in the fourth round. We took a wide receiver who's uh, Jameson Crowder, who's only five foot eight, and I'm sorry, but. To be anything more than a gimmick player in the NFL, you got to be five foot ten or more receiver. So basically, we took a kicker turner in the fourth round. Uh, I, I did like the pick of Ari Quanjo in the in the fourth round. I know he's got some injury history there, but if he could stay healthy, he could be another good offensive lineman there to go along with Sheriff. And you know the running back they took from Florida, I think Matt Jones. He's a he's a big bruiser, and I. I don't disagree with having a guy like that. You already have Darrell Young, who 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 knows who, who can do that thing down by the goal line, and they didn't seem to replace Halu. And and maybe they have plans for 
plans for Silas Red. Maybe maybe you know more about that than me, but I, I just just was a little surprised, even like not necessarily the position they drafted, but who they went for. You know, they went with the huge running back, they went with a small wide receiver. It just it didn't seem to add up for me. Um, I have some lukewarms out there. I don't know if you prepared lukewarm, but I was when I was doing my research last Nick last night, Nick, I just thought I'd throw these teams out there. San Francisco, they didn't address all their needs, but I love Armstead and Harold, and I like the the tart, the safety they got. Um, and I think DeAndre Smelter is going to be a good player for them, and they don't have to use him right away. Um, and they also took uh, Trenton Brown, uh, a guard out of Florida, who's probably the biggest player in the draft. I think he's like six eight. I know he reported to the senior bowl at 380. I think he's trimmed about 20 pounds now, but uh, they they got some good pieces to that team. It doesn't look flashy, but I think they got some really good pieces to help that team along. Um, Cleveland, I love that the fact that they went with the big, the big guys in the middle with uh, Cooper, uh, excuse me, Xavier Cooper and Danny Shelton. I think they're, they did some great things to address that defense. Um, uh, and they got uh, your guy from Oregon, Eiffel uh, Akriolimu. I hope I pronounced that, that correct. They got some really nice pieces. Obviously, they didn't go with the quarterback, but uh, I, didn't think the, I didn't think it was their form. A little surprised about the Duke Johnson pick, and I don't know what that's going to spell for the other running backs on this team. Um, but they also got a guy out of uh, Washington State up by the name of Vince Mayo or Mayley. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but I love the kid. 6'2", 220. Reminds me a lot of Terrence Williams. He's going to probably cut his teeth playing special teams. He makes tackles on special teams, too. Uh, just a really aggressive kid, and I think he could be a, have a nice future there in Cleveland, especially since he doesn't have any pressure on him to perform right away. Uh, Tennessee, I, you know, I don't like it, but I think – I don't absolutely love it, but I think they got good value. Um, you know, Mario is going to have some growing pains. We all know that. He's not going to step in and be an awesome quarterback – but he, they did get him some weapons. They got Trey McBride, who for some reason fell all the way down to the end of the draft. They got Doro Green Beckham, who's got some who's got some red flags. But uh, if they can make it work, you know, they got Mariota and they got some weapons to surround him with. They also got David Cobb, who I'm going to talk a whole lot about next week when we do our running back impact show. Um, I like Pittsburgh. I I thought they could have on DB a little bit heavier earlier, but they got Anthony Ciccolo out of Miami, who I thought was probably one of the more underrated players in this draft. Um, and they also got Golson, the, the smaller the smaller DB out of uh, out of Old Miss. Um, pretty sure it was Old Miss, maybe Mississippi State. But I'd like he's he's a small kid, but he is a very very good cornerback. And of course, they got the great value there in round one. Alvin Bud Dupree, um, and I actually like Minnesota's draft. There's a, there's only like maybe one or two players in the whole draft I didn't like. They got great value in Daniel Hunter, the 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 defensive end out of uh, Louisiana State LSU, um, and I just I like Diggs. I like the add of Diggs, and I like Michael Pruitt. You know, you said they didn't get Bridgewater some weapons. Those are some kind of underrated weapons. And I was maybe one of the only persons going into this draft that didn't think Minnesota needed a wide receiver. They have. Patterson, they have Wallace, they have Johnson, they have right. I don't know if those guys pose fear in your eyes by any means, but I really, I think they have a good thing going. You don't want to keep throwing a new guy in there every year to, to mess up the system. If they can keep a, a, a chain of guys together, that's going to be good. And I love, I'm going to be really excited to see what they do with Michael Pruitt out of uh, Southern 
Illinois, excuse me. I think he can do the H-back. I think he can do the fullback. Uh, the guy's 6'2", 250 pounds. He's listed as a tight end. Does a hell of a job playing in the slot. And I mean, who's going to want to tackle that guy in the slot, catching <laughs> catching a slant over the middle? Uh, I'm going to love to see how they use him there. So did you have any teams that you, were, you liked some, Nick, but didn't love the whole draft? Um, well, we were talking a little bit before the show about uh, Kansas City's draft. I thought that were, there was pretty good uh, them taking cornerbacks with uh, two of their first four picks, uh, Marcus Peters in the first round, and then a guy we both really like, Stephen Nelson out of Oregon State in the, in the third round. But I was confused a little bit at uh, why they went with Chris Conley, the wide receiver, in, in round three, their first pick in round three. just seems like their offense doesn't really feature wide receivers at all. And they already signed uh, Jeremy Macklin. I thought they maybe could have gone in a different direction there. But uh, getting back to Minnesota, you know, I I agree with you. I didn't think they absolutely needed a wide receiver. But the fact that Devontae Parker, who already had the chemistry with Teddy Bridgewater, was there and available for him, that was the only – that was why I was really – not liking what they did there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, uh, I did like Kansas City's draft. I I can't believe they got Steven Nelson. I I love that kid, and I probably would like him on any other team in the NFL. But, geez, not a, not an Oakland division rival. Uh, yeah. And Peters, too, I think. And, and I actually like to pick up Conley. I think they saw a definite need after the year they entered last year with the wide receiver position. And Conley, they, and Conley, they got an absolute freak athlete, a guy that could just go get the ball anywhere Alex Smith will throw it. And I, and getting Mackland, I, I, I can't believe that I'm saying this after this year, but I think they could actually have a receiving game out, outside of their tight ends and running backs next year. I think they addressed a need there. And with Macklin and Conley at wide receiver position, I think – as a Kansas City fan, you have to be excited. And as a as a fantasy owner, you have to treat it with caution, but you need to watch very closely and see how they use those guys in the preseason. I think you can see Conley get a lot of reps in the preseason because uh, they want him to get used to Alex Smith and just kind of their offense. And he's a smart kid, can can jump out of the stadium. And I, I like the pick. It, it, it's, not, it's hard to not like – Conley, wherever he went. I know it's a tough road, but uh, I think they addressed the need there in Kansas City, and I think I think we could see some interesting things out of that team this year. I hate to say that as a Rangers fan, but I think uh, they might have some fantasy relevance wide receivers. I didn't. I did purposely get quieter as I said that, just so maybe everybody's not listening. But anyway, who had the best draft, Nick? Well, I got three teams here again. I'm going to start with Arizona. You know, in round one, they went with D.J. Humphreys, uh, offensive lineman. you got to protect Carson Palmer. When he got hurt last year, their season was over. So I thought that was a a great pick. And then I loved their third-round pick, uh, the running back David Johnson uh, out of northern Iowa. You know, he's six foot one, two 224 pounds, great value, and he's got the size that they were lacking in Andre Ellington. It wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, sooner rather than later he was the starter and Ellington ended up being the change of pace back. And then uh, in free agency, they lost Darnell Dockett and Dan Williams on the defensive line. So I like the fact that they went with a D line in rounds two, four, and five. Uh, and then we'll go to Tennessee. You know, I was 
kind of a cop-out maybe. They did have the second overall pick, but I personally liked Mariota over James Winston. And then getting a great weapon for him in Doral Green Beckham in round two, six foot five, two 237. I thought that was a good value as far as he slipped. Uh, you know, obviously a boomer bust guy. He's got some off-field issues and concerns, but if he booms, then that's going to be a great combination of those two. Uh, and then in round three, they got an offensive lineman, offensive lineman Jeremiah Policy, I think you say it, uh, out of Utah to help protect Mariota. And then I love their pick in round five, uh, David Cobb, the running back out of Minnesota. I think he could, uh, wouldn't be too hard to envision him unseating Bishop Sankey for the number one role, uh, as bad as Sankey was last year. Um, my one, number one team actually is Cincinnati. I know it's not sexy, but, you know, it all starts up front. You know, they went offensive tackle in the first and second rounds with uh, Cedric Obuhi and uh, Jake Fisher, and then the tight end, uh, Tyler Crofton, in round three. Linebacker uh, Paul Dawson fell to them all the way at the end of round three. You know, give me a football player over a workout warrior any day. I think Paul Dawson's going to be a good NFL pro. Wow, I was surprised by that uh, Cincinnati being your favorite team. I, I, I like their draft, and obviously I love Dawson, but uh, I didn't necessarily think they needed offensive linemen, which I thought was kind of weird. But I think they probably got one of the better offensive Fisher, who a lot of people thought they should have taken in the first, and he slipped to them all the way in the second, which I really like. Which is great, great value. Um, I really like Atlanta's draft. Um, and again, on the Tennessee thing, David Cobb is excites me to no end in Tennessee because he just got Richard Sankey to beat Alice. Uh, look for more on David Cobb in our questions and question and answers with the expert this weekend on Saturday. I wrote a little piece on him uh, that I'm pretty proud of, and you should uh, definitely check it out. But, uh, yeah, Baltimore, I thought, had a really good draft. Uh, excuse me, Atlanta. Vic Beasley, I thought. Vic Beasley's probably my favorite edge guy in this draft, uh, minus Ellie Harold, uh, excuse me, Eli Harold out of Virginia. I don't know why Harold was not a first round pick. I think he's got the definite, definite talent to be a first round pick. But anyway, I think nobody's surprised with Dan Quinn going to Atlanta that they went they went with uh, a, just a defensive beast in Vic Beasley. Um, it's you know there was a stat I saw over the weekend that. Uh, Ford State had 29 players or something like that drafted over the last three years, but Clemson's got to be close behind them. There's been so much talent up Clemson the last couple of years, and Vic Beasley is no no exception. I think he is a phenomenal talent, and this is a player that they needed. I talked about that in our, our round one night. Um, this, but he's he's going to provide so much pressure off the edge. I think they're going to be so happy with him. Um, obviously getting Kevin Coleman is huge. Um, he's not, you know, Devontae Freeman, and not like Freeman's not going to matter anymore, but I just think Coleman is just going to be the great, a great type of player for that offense and what they like to do. They got cornerback Jalen Collins, who has some question marks, but they definite need there for them. Uh, Grady Jarrett in the middle there, defensive tackle. I really like him. I like Keen King, the the free safety they got out of San Jose State, too. I thought they got great value there. Um, but I also really, really love Justin Hardy. Um, he's getting knocked out of my top ten because of landing spot. But it's kind of a, a short-term type of thing is the reason he got knocked out of there. Now, Roddy White's got to be got to be 30 years old nowadays. And we saw what Harry Douglas, the same size of player, 
that Justin Hardy is. We saw what Harry Douglas could do in that offense, especially when Julio and Ryu were dinged up. And I think Hardy is twice the player that Harry Douglas is. This guy catches everything. He had something like 120 receptions last year at ECU, uh, Eastern Carolina. Um, he's a guy that, you, you know, in your redrafts, you probably don't want to draft this year. But if, if Julio or Roddy goes down, you want him. And Dynasty owners, he's a guy that's going to slip probably to like the third or fourth round. And if you need, you know you're going to need receivers in the future, this is a guy that you got to be super excited about. I don't think because of his 5'10", 190 frame, he's going to be relegated to the slot. I think they're going to be able to move him all around and do some interesting things with him, and he's going to grow with Julio Jones in that offense and be a very, very good player. And Tevin Coleman is obviously going to help all of that. So uh, uh, the one the one knock that I had, I know I had to lay it off there on my, on my, on my best of, but uh, still, again, no tight end, really. I just <laughs> They obviously know what they're doing, and with uh, another – another great receiver and Justin Hardy, maybe they just want to keep that tight end in, in there to block. So uh, just, just surprises me. Uh, Baltimore is another team that I really like. Uh, Perryman, you know, let's face it. Uh, um, I'll probably say this again and again when we talk about Baltimore during the off season here, but the knock on him was his hands. He had a lot of drops, whatever. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get better. I mean, Nick, would you rather have Blake Boyles or Joe Flacco throwing your footballs. Yeah, you don't even need to answer. I know what you're going to say. Flacco is going to love what this kid does, how he creates. And it's, it's, it's it was a definite need for them. And and then they went out and got Max Williams, who's going to he's going to be a nice upgrade. And they're not going to have pressure on him to perform right away. They also got the huge wide receiver out of uh, Georgia Tech by the name of Darren Waller, six six, excuse me, six six two thirty eight. Gonna play the slot receiver for them. Marlon Brown can pack his bags. I just, I love that pick. I love Javoris Allen, uh, uh, Southern, excuse me, South Carolina, Southern California, USC. Uh, a lot of people don't like him, but I think he's gonna not need it, not need to play right away, and that's gonna be huge for him. Zadarius uh, Z- 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 Smith, the defensive end out of Kentucky, um, six four two seventy four. I think he's gonna be a great player to put pressure on the edge in that system. I'm a little surprised they went with the big body Carl Davis in the third. I thought they maybe could have waited on him out of Iowa, 6'5", 320. But they had to replace Nada, and they needed they needed a definite body to do that. Um, but, I, yeah, I really like their draft. Uh, some other no-name guys, but I think I, that's kind of one of those teams that I respect, like uh, like Green Bay. I just when they do it, I know I had Green Bay as my worst team this year because I just understand a lot of the picks that they did. But I really respect Baltimore and how they draft, and I think that's going to be a great pick for them. But I think the best team, the best draft of anybody, has to be the Chicago Bears. Um, Kevin White, we'll, we'll say slip to them. Uh, he's going to immediately step in and play with Elson Jeffrey, and Jake Cutler should be kissing the ground that he's still in Chicago and that he's got another talent talented wide receiver to go along with him. Uh, Eddie Goldman out of Florida State, 6'4", 330 pounds. They need somebody in the middle to to do to do what Goldman does, and that's a great, great pickup for them. Um, great great value there, too, that, that deep into the second, I thought. Veronis um, Grafu, best, best center in this draft, and they got him in the third round. Uh, Lankford is a nice fallback option for them. 
Uh, they have Kadeem Therian, obviously Forte. Um, Langford, I never really thought about it, but I do see why Chicago likes him. If they want to replace Forte in this offense, and he's the, he can do all those things that Forte does. I don't think he's an 80-100 reception guy, but he can catch the ball and create it out of the backfield. And like I said, it's going to be a couple of years until we see him, and he's the guy that's going to fall in your dynasty draft. So if you have patience and taxi squad spots or you have depth at running back, this is a guy that you want because Forte's not young anymore, and we know how, how the ways the running backs goes. Uh, Adrian Amos, the free safety out of Penn State, a definite need here too. Um, I know they have – role. I know they have Brock Vereen, but they need depth at that position. I thought it was a great ad. And another awful pronunciation. I know I know we've heard it before and we had Jamie from the TCU website, Frogs of War website on here. Uh but the guard out of T- TCU Teo yeah. Look it up. Uh six six two fifty three excuse me, six six three fifty three. An exceptional player. I think he can play a little right tackle if you need him to too. Uh, but just a big body that's going to do a lot of damage for this this offensive line. A sixth round pick. I have no no question in my mind that he's going to be a contributor on this this team, even though he was that late pick. So um, that was a a monster draft recap. Any uh, undrafted free agents, Nick, that you kind of uh, liked there? Uh, uh, yeah, I got a potential handful. Uh, we'll start off with a couple of receivers. Uh, first off, we got uh, Deontay Greenberry uh, in Dallas, six foot three, two hundred eleven at his pro day. Uh, ran a four five forty. He's got a good size speed ratio, but he's kind of raw as a route runner and blocker. Questionable hands, but if he can figure those things out, you know Dallas does have a history with wide receivers uh, being undrafted and being uh, good contributors. Just look at Cole Beasley, their current wide receiver number three. He went undrafted. Uh, another receiver, uh, Josh Harper in Oakland, six foot one, one ninety one. He had a terrible combine. Uh, uh, ran a four six four forty and poor showing and all the other drills as well. But the one thing he does have going for him is that he's got chemistry with the current Oakland quarterback, Derek Yards, and 13 scores in cars last year at Fresno State. Um, then I'm switched to a running back, Zach Zenner in Detroit, five foot eleven, two hundred twenty three. This guy was uber productive at South Dakota State, two straight thousand yard seasons, and he had 1998 yards the year before that. Plus he's hundred catches too. So and he did well when uh, SDSU went up against the big boys, Missouri and Nebraska. Uh, 305 yards and four touchdowns total in those two games. Uh, and a quarterback, Robert Holiday in Washington, six foot three, two twenty six, broke his leg in November. This guy had crazy stats in the Coach Mike Leach's offense at Washington State. Uh, he threw 89 passes in one game, 734 yards in one game. And the fact that he only has to beat out Colt McCoy for a job makes him, you know, probably one of the more likely undrafted quarterbacks during a roster spot. And then one defensive guy I'll throw out there, the linebacker Tony Washington in Houston, six foot four, two forty seven. He did shave two tenths of a second off his forty time between his combine and his pro day. Ran a four eight in pro day, which is not good, but you know, better than a four nine nine. Uh, you know, if he can get a little bit stronger, I think he could develop into a contributor there in Houston. Yeah, very surprised Tony Washington didn't go. I saw him as like a sixth round guy. Not your typical edge guy, but certainly a profiles of a nice weak side linebacker. Um, what happened to your guy Eric Dargan there out of uh, Oregon? Nick, did he get? Did he sign an undrafted? I know he went undrafted. Do you know anything about him? Uh, I have not seen if he signed yet or not. Okay. Cool. Well, very happy to report that uh, 
most of the guests that we've had on this podcast have gotten some mini camp invites. Uh, Arthur Ray, Fort Lewis College, and before that, Michigan State, uh, cancer survivor, offensive lineman, got it's getting a chance to to uh, at the Dolphins mini camp. Very very happy for Arthur. Uh, Javante Williams Johnson and Smith University Johnson C Smith University uh, at Carolina Panthers mini camp. Uh, just just a heck of a kid, an, an edge guy that can uh, that can play up and down, and I, I think he's going to make some nice waves there. Um, Dante Rump, uh, undrafted free free agent that, that was cut by Atlanta last year, he got signed a mini camp deal with the Giants, um, and then Carlos Taylor. Both 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 Rump and Taylor are defensive and excuse me defensive tackles. They're both going to be in Giants uh, mini camp, so uh, they can. Looking for some people to back up Hankins, and I think both of those guys have a real shot of making that team. Happy, to, happy to see those guys get a chance. Um, you really stole my thunder there with Josh Harper. Uh, I love that. I cannot believe he didn't get drafted. I know he had a bad combine, but if you watch film on this guy, he's got some, he's got some moves. I know he's a little slight in frame, but uh, I, I really like really like him. Um, yeah, that was that was my big one there, Nick. So. So thanks for that. But anyway, uh, uh, Tony Washington too was a was an interesting case there. So I yeah, that was those are the big ones that I had. So let's move forward into uh, dynasty trade analysis. Um, I'm happy to report that Noah Randall cops this week, but uh, a hand, uh, of course Devontae Adams is back. So we do have a Green Bay receiver. I think we've talked about every Green Bay receiver except for maybe Jeff Janis. But anyway. Vincent Jackson, something traded. Vincent Jackson, 2015, pick 2.3. This is in DFW 48, excuse me, uh, 2.30. And 2016 third-round pick for Julian Edelman in the 2015 third-round pick. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Vincent Jackson for Edelman. Excuse me, Vincent Jackson, a second and a third for Edelman in the third. Yeah, I think this is a pretty fair trade on both sides, really. I mean, uh, the guy who picked up Edelman got a little bit younger, um, but you know, you had to. Yeah, I, I just think it's a really even trade, basically. I, I know it's a little tough to give up that extra third round pick in next year's draft, but still pretty good. Yeah, I like it too. Like you said, Edelman's a little bit younger than Vince Jackson. Um, you know, from a PPR standpoint, I say the guy that got Edelman uh, probably maybe gets a slight edge in this because there's a, you know some definitely some other other talent there in Tampa. Not that there's not other talent in uh, in New England. I just you know what Edelman can do. We've seen him. We've seen him be such a great weapon in the short intermediate passing game there. And uh, uh, yeah, I just I, it's an even trade, but I think PPR you got to give a slight edge there to Edelman. The guy who got Edelman, um, and especially considering we don't know, you know, not that James Winston is going to be a complete flop, but we just, you know, there's with the rookie quarterback, you got to you got to be really careful with the with those wide receivers. You know, there could be even some clashes there. Vincent Jackson isn't necessarily the the easiest guy to get along with, and I know there's been a lot of trade rumors with him too. So that, I mean, I know those have died down a, a whole lot, but uh, that certainly is a, is a possibility there. So um, pretty even trade. Uh, this is a trade that we talked about last week, and uh, maybe you maybe have some other thoughts on it. 
Nick week Nick this week, uh, but uh, our good friend Dynasty Dan gave up the one point zero two and got uh, one point ten, which again is you know one it's essentially one point one for one point four in the same draft and gained Cody Latimer. So he gave up the one point one but got a one point four in Cody Latimer. Any thoughts now that the draft's over? Um, no, you know, I feel exactly the same way I felt about this trade last week. You know, I thought it's a basically a top four heavy draft as far as rookie drafts are concerned. So if he can move anywhere and still be in the top four and pick up a guy like Cody Latimer, who's got huge upside now going into his second year in Denver, I think that's a great, t- uh, great trade for Dan. Yeah, I mean, you're looking, you know, Cooper, Gordon, Gurley, White. You know, he's going to have two of those four players. And then I have the fifth pick. In that draft, uh, so uh, maybe he'll surprise everybody and take Green Beckham or uh, Nelson Aguilar or somebody. I got no problems. Kevin White slips through that. I'll just say that to Dan, or obviously, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how Dan feels. I know he's more. I think he was bigger on Cooper before the draft, but I'm sure we will keep you posted on the happenings as that trade's coming up. Or excuse me, that draft is going to start here. Uh, I believe May 22nd. So we'll keep you posted on that as things go forward. Uh, Next trade here. Uh, No picks involved, just Devontae Adams for Giovanni Bernard. What are your thoughts, Sidney? Well, I think it's another pretty even trade. You know, I'm assuming the team that picked up Bernard needed a running back, the team that picked up Adams needed a wide receiver, and I thought they were pretty ranked fairly evenly. Obviously, long term, you got to give the the advantage to the side that picked up a wide receiver over a running back. But you know, in the short term, I think it's a pretty even trade. Yeah, you, you like like you said, you know, the guy that picked up the running back needs running backs. Got to pick the wide receiver needs wide receivers. And you like to think the guys that gave up those players have depth at that position. So it's just a, it's a nice little shuffle. And I still think uh, we need to talk to Bill about this because uh, Bill Servi, our content director, he's been drafting Giovanni Bernard in just about every mock that I've been in him with. So he maybe knows more than us. But I think we're going to see more of a 50-50 split there this year if they're both healthy. I think they want to use both of those backs. And so I think Bernard maybe has, like Nick said, more value in the short term. But obviously injuries – or, you know, whatever else could happen in Green Bay. And, you know, this is a, this is the world of three receiver sets now nowadays in the NFL. So it's not like Adams is only going to be on the field in third and long. He's going to be on there. He's going to be on the field plenty there. So uh, it's it's a good trade, and I, I think most people can go away with it pretty happy. Um, uh, moving forward, um, Dynasty Dilemma time, Nick. I thought I was ready for this. We'll see. Uh, of course, we've talked about this a little bit earlier. We're going to pitch Kevin Coleman versus TJ Yeldon. Now, Nick, uh, it was Nick's two- turn to choose first. And, and I, not that I was – I just don't like TJ Yeldon. I think he kind of runs like a wounded swan. Uh, but I was willing to settle with whoever you left for me and really look at it. But, uh, Nick, I don't know if he was being nice or whatnot, uh, but he left Tevin Coleman for me to talk about again. You're going to have to listen to me talk about Tevin Coleman. And he went with TJ Yeldon. So um, we'll, we'll see what he has on TJ Yeldon. Nick, you chose. So that means you get to go first. So let's get the music going. So take a breath.
So, you know, I don't dislike Kevin Coleman. I really don't. But there's a big difference between lighting up Big Ten defenses and NFL-level defenses. And, you know, there's somewhat of a one-year wonder concern, too. In 2014, he was over 2,000 yards, but he didn't reach even 1,000 yards either of his years prior, whereas Yeldon was between 970 and 1,200 yards each of the last three years. I also worry that while Coleman is only 206 pounds, his running style is that of a bigger back. So is he going to be able to hold up physically if asked to be a feature back, or is he going to break down? at some point, whereas Yeldon at 226 pounds, he's bigger, and he has a history of playing through injuries. He's a tough guy. Now let's look at their situation. Kevin Coleman in Atlanta, they're an established passing offense with borderline elite stat-wise anyways. It's quarterback Matt Ryan. We know they don't hesitate to air it out. Uh, Last year, there was no running back in Atlanta with 200 carries. Steven Jackson had 190. Devontae Freeman, who's still there, had 65. Jacquez Rogers, 58. In fact, Atlanta hasn't had a running back go over 800 yards since Michael Turner in 2011. Plus, it'll likely be in a running back by committee situation with Devontae Freeman, who weighs the same, but he's three inches shorter. So that sounds like a touchdown vulture situation to me. Okay, now I'm done hammering on your man crush, Josh. Let's switch over to T.J. Yeldon's situation in Jacksonville. You know, his competition for playing time is Denard Robinson. And as you've said, Robinson's way better of a change of pace back than a, than a every-down guy. And Bernard Pierce, Toby Gerhardt, if they don't release him, uh, so I, I think uh, Yeldon's going to start there. And now this isn't likely to be a pass-happy happy offense with second-year quarterback Blake Bortles, who was kind of raw coming out. You know, uh, they could they could rely on the running game, I think, to open things up for the talented young receiving core. Jacksonville used uh, the third over third pick in the third round on interior offensive lineman A.J. Can out of South Carolina. I think he's going to help that running game along with the new right tackle, Jeremy Parnell. I'm actually cautiously bullish on the whole Jacksonville offense right now, especially with how cheap Bortles is. Uh, I think right now DFW has him ranked uh, the number 23rd quarterback behind luminaries such as Jake Cutler and Robert Griffin. But I digress. Back to the running back. Uh, You know, you look at week 7 through 13 when Robinson was the starter. He had 107 carries. At that rate, it would be 244 carries in 16 games. So Jacksonville looks like they want to have a feature back or an every down back. And since the Jags spent that early second-round pick, I think uh, Yeldon's going to have every chance to shine. Josh? I I disagree. I think Jacksonville wants all these kind of all kinds of weapons, and I think I think Yeldon they want Yeldon to be their pace hitter. But uh, they didn't draft another wide receiver to give him 300 carries. I, they they have uh, they didn't get Julius Thomas to give a running back 300 carries. Um, I think there's going to be a, a definite time split there between him and Denard Robinson. I don't and I just don't think you know I made the joke about Yeldon looking like a wounded swan, and I said this before in this podcast. If you watch film on Yeldon, the moment he gets into open space, he immediately raises his head. And I see a lot of Darren McFadden in him, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but he is going to get his head taken off. And it's not just when he's in daylight. It's the moment he gets open space, even if it's two feet, he just, his head immediately pops up and granted he's trying to look around look around the field, but I, 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 I worry that somebody is just going to tear him apart. You know, DJ Swearinger is just going to, take his head off. I, uh, I, don't, I don't like that. It concerns me. I Because of landing spot, though, I had to put it in my top ten. Begrudgingly put it in my top ten after the post-draft rankings. Um, how does Devontae Freeman become the next Jacquez Rogers? 
when Atlanta drafts Tevin Coleman. Obviously, that's how. You know that old cliche they often spout about running backs who have game-breaking ability. This guy can take it to the house. Um, well, that's what Coleman does. He does. He, he can call him a one-cut runner, but that one cut is amazing. Granted, he only had the one year of 2,000 yards, but you don't just get 2,000 yards in the Big Ten with a horrible offensive line just just because. I mean, you have to be talented to do get 2,000 yards, especially considering this isn't a 16-game NFL season he did that in. That's, you know, that's 12 games, 13 games that he did that. Um, unlike, you know, unlike USC running backs, excuse me, unlike SEC running backs like Yeldon or even his Big Ten counterpart, Coleman's offensive line was just very, very average. In fact, before Roger Saffold was drafted in 2010, uh, no, no Hoosier offensive lineman was drafted since 1998, and even that was a seventh-round pick. You have to go all the way back to 1995 before you even see like a top-four-round offensive lineman out of that university. That's how... Just they just don't have the pedigree. Now back to Coleman. When you look at running backs in this division, John Jonathan Stewart, Doug Martin, Mark Ingram, Charles Sims, Fozzie Whitaker, C.J. Spiller, Mike Tolbert, you can't honestly tell me that they're one of mate, one of those guys that that you would draft before Coleman. I know Ingram is close, but let's face it, Ingram. You know, you want to call Coleman a one-year wonder. Ingram is definitely a one-year wonder. And he just lacks the same kind of pizzazz, I think, that Coleman has. So, uh, your chance to reflect that. Um, I also think that uh, T.J. Yeldon, the defenses that he's going to face in the AFC South, are not as stout against the run as teams like Carolina, uh, Gerald McCoy in Tampa Bay. I think that it might be a little tougher sledding in Atlanta for, uh, for Coleman than Yeldon's going to face in, in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Very good point. Uh, if you want to vote on this, you can go to DFW. I, I don't know if it's up right now, but it'll be up over the course of the next couple days. So if you want to go vote on that dynasty, I'm a TJ Yeldon versus uh, Tevin Coleman. Um, and I would like to say before this, like I said, I threw Coleman in my top ten, obviously after the landing spot. Did have him in my top ten pre-draft. Um, Coleman was my number three pre-draft. And, um, Coleman stayed right there at number three. Yeldon, Yeldon now appears in there as number seven. So I, I do have a little bit more respect for him. I just have some real real concerns about how things are going to translate there for Mr. Yeldon. Um, moving forward here, Nick, um, wide receiver top ten. That's where we're at. We told you we were going to do some wide receiver impact. We're now about 40, 50 minutes in, um, and we're finally getting there. Um, I guess so. I didn't know if I was for my draft recap, but apparently I I pontificated enough. Um, so uh, this is we're going to give you our now our wide receiver draft. Excuse me, our wide receiver top ten post draft. Now that obviously the landing spots are official, um, we'll do this like we did our rookie extravaganza shows. Nick, uh, why don't you just start at number ten, and uh, we'll work our way up to uh, number one. So who do you got for number ten? Well, I actually put had a tie at number 10 with uh, Devin Smith and Philip Dorsett. Dorsett, obviously, is more of a long-term investment. Uh, you know, Andrew Luck is his quarterback, but he's got so much competition there for targets this year anyway with the guys we already mentioned, Hilton, Andre Johnson, Moncrief. Uh, you know, he's 
five foot ten, one eighty five, but really tough. I think if they, uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know what's what they're going to do there, but he's got long term uh, potential. Whereas Devin Smith could. Uh, be more of a contributor this year. You know, he's only behind Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. Uh, you know, his quarterback situation's not near as good. Geno Smith, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Bryce uh, Petty, hit quarterback. Meh. To me, it's kind of he's going to be a desperation bye week plug this year. But he is going to have weeks where he contributes. He had so many long touchdowns there at Ohio State. Uh, he should really contribute a little bit this year. And then, you know, both of these guys are more long term guys, but, but. but and that's why they're down there at 10 and not higher up. Okay. Uh, number 10, I also have I have Devin Smith. I think, um, uh, you know, Brandon Marshall is just kind of a fallback player there for the next couple of years. And I think, uh, obviously, they need to get a quarterback there. Um, I know you made note of that. But uh, I think Devin Smith has a lot of, a lot of potential there. Um, maybe not the best fantasy spot for him initially, but I think if they get that QB there, that's going to be good things. And I think uh, they can uh, they can help. He can help contribute on special teams, and uh, and when it's when it's his time, he will he will certainly do that. So one thing I want to rem- everybody to remember is with, when you're talking about some of these players and uh, uh, you know some of these wide receivers that are going to profile as kick returners. Um, you know, there's plenty of cases of guys that started their started their careers as kick returners. I mean, Randall Cobb is probably the biggest one. They let him do that for a couple of years, and then he, you know, he became obviously what he is now. So, when we talk about guys, you know, that can return, do kick returns, it's just not necessarily great for your their fantasy value right away. But uh, it's in, in dynasty, you kind of you kind of like those guys because you know that they show something there. They could certainly have a future there, a future as you know, as a slot man, and maybe something more as we've seen, you know, with with Randall Cobb. There's a couple other examples I can't remember right now, but he's obviously the big the big example. And I think you know he's probably going to be off the kick the kick return circuit now that they drafted another kick returner in Ty Montgomery. I don't know if he's going to be the same type of case, but uh, I, that's just one thing I want everybody to remember when you talk about these guys that profile potential kick returners slash. Slot men, they're you know they're going to get their chance to earn it as special teams, and if they if they do well, they're going to see more more reps in the office. So that's uh, that's my number ten. Uh, Devin Funchess, I have at number nine. Some people didn't understand this pick, and they thought he's the same type of player as Kelvin Benjamin. I don't think he's as good as Kelvin Benjamin, but I love the fact that he's going to be able to not only learn from Benjamin, but he can also learn from a great tight end and Greg Olson to maybe learn both of those positions. And he's not going to be in a huge pressure situation right away either. I know he was a high second-round pick, but I don't think he's going to necessarily have to be the man, obviously, like Benjamin was last year. And uh, he's going to be able to go in motion, do some things in the slot. They can have him and Olsen on the field at the same time. Uh, I, I just like that pick, and there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of jump balls in the red zone there this year for uh, Carolina. Who do you have at number nine there, Nick? Uh, well, my number nine is uh, Justin Hardy. I think he landed in a pretty good situation. We talked about him a little bit earlier. Should take over Harry Douglas's role in the slot there in Atlanta. Five foot ten, hundred ninety-two. Not a big combine guy. Only ran a four-five-six, but he's a great football player, as evidenced by his uh, three hundred eighty-seven career receptions. That's an NCAA record. Uh, you know, his upside may be limited as long as uh, Roddy White and Julio Jones are there and healthy. But you know, 
those guys don't have a great injury history. So I think he could be pretty competitive this year. Yeah, definitely agree with Aaron Hardy. Like I said, I bumped him out of my top ten, didn't love it, but I had I had to. There's just some other guys that have some feelings about, obviously. Um, you know, in in not running the sub five forty, if you see this guy on film, he's got great game speed, and and you know five, you know four five six isn't isn't slow by any means. So I mean, I I hear what you're saying, but you know, and people, you know, that's the. People always take notice, but look at look at all those guys that run the sub five forty. Look at you know some of you know half of those guys, and that's the only thing they do well. You know, so that's you know there's there's the workout warriors like you said with Conley, but uh, a lot of those speed guys, that's a lot of that's all they have. You know, Rashard Perryman's got all those knocks in his game, but he he ran the you know sub four three or whatever at his pro day, so everybody loves him. There's just uh, the forty time is important, but four five six is not slow. Um, so, uh, who do you have for number eight there, Nick? Uh, for number eight, I have Jalen Strong in Houston. I think that's a good situation for uh, some early playing time. I think ideally the team would like to have Strong and DeAndre Hopkins on the outside with Cecil Shorts in the slot, uh, with a veteran and former Titan Nate Washington providing depth. Uh, Strong six foot two, two seventeen, ran a four 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 forty. I think the lack of a quality quarterback could limit his upside right now. He's working with Brian Hoyer and Ryan Mallett for the first year or two, but I think long term he's got some uh, a lot of upside. Um, I also have Strong at number eight. Um, he does fall into a good situation, and I think it's I think it's okay that uh, he's not necessarily uh, a number one. I don't think that he's not necessarily a number one wide receiver. That's probably the best better situation for him. I know a lot of people in Baltimore were clamoring for him. Um, I have some real real issues with just the way he plays the game. I think he, I think he's the best leaper in this wide receiver class in terms of timing. He's not the tallest. You know, he's not Chris Conley, who just, you know, he's, it's funny after you see Conley's vert and then you see everybody else's told you're just like, Eh. Uh, but uh, 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 excuse me, Strong still has a nice, nice vert, and he does time it very well. I, I, I do have some issues the way he catches the ball. I think he uses his body too much, and uh, I think some aggressive DBs like like we saw in college with Stephen Nelson and Marcus, Marcus Peters can really knock him off his game. They're going to have to get creative with him if they're in a situation where somebody's really rattling enough to buy. So, but I, I like him, and I think he falls into great spots. Obviously, you got to like any guy opposite the field of uh, DeAndre Hopkins. So, good spot for him. Uh, number seven, I had Tyler Lockett. Now, I know a lot of people want to knock him down based on his size. The talent is so great. And I know he went to Seattle, and that's been fantasy wide receiver obscurity. Um, but they haven't had a wide receiver like this that can do everything well. He's another guy that might even see um, – some action in the return game, which is a, I really a position I think they really really needed. If they need a solid return man, but I think he's going to see a lot of reps. Uh, another hundred reception guy last year in college on not necessarily a very good team, uh, or at least a good quarterback situation there. Um, I they don't you know people say oh he could refill the Harvard role there. You know Harvard was there for what fourteen games or something like that. He really didn't play for this team. 
that much. So they didn't really necessarily have a niche carved out for Harbin, but I think they're going to be able to build around Lockett. You know, he is, he is a smaller guy, uh, but I think uh, they got the best small guy in this draft by far. Who do you got at number seven there, Nick? Uh, well, Lockett fell outside of my top ten. At number seven, I have uh, Doral Green back in Tennessee. You know, it's a Bad situation for owners of uh, Justin Hunter and Harry Douglas, of course. But I think Green Beckham, he's talented enough to be the Tennessee's wide receiver one by midseason. Sorry, Kendall Wright. But I think Wright still would be the, the best receiver to have in PPR leagues. But I think Green Beckham's a big play waiting to happen. But he could bust out just as easily. He's the epitome of a boomer bust uh, prospect in this year's draft. So, you know, I wouldn't release Justin Hunter quite yet. But, yeah, the writing's kind of on the wall there. Uh, unfortunately, yes. Yes, it is. Um, well, it'll be interesting to see how they use it because they also threw Terry McBride into the mix, who I, he's one of those guys that they're going to have to let make this team because if they try to practice squad him, I think someone's going to nab him. I still don't know why he fell through the draft like he did, but they have, they have depth at that position and they'll have young depth at, at uh, running back too. So, uh, yeah, not, not bad there. Um, I was DGB your number six there or seven? Uh, he was my seven. Okay, so I'll, I'll roll into my my six here, who's also Doyle Green Beckham. Um, red zone jump ball. This is another guy that only played, I think, fourteen college games. So there there is that big big check against him in terms of maybe experience. But uh, I think Mariota is going to appreciate a weapon. You know, the Ducks and his college team always seemed to have the five, six, five, ten burners. And I think uh, Mario is going to love throwing to somebody with that kind of height. And uh, Delaney Walker, who's a, you know, a 30 year old tight end certainly, certainly is going to help those wide receivers stay open, whether it's uh, blocking or uh, he's not necessarily a guy that you, you can't, you know, leave to uh, just just your any old outside linebacker. He's a guy that you have to cover because they can use him, and uh, you know the young quarterback's going to be looking for that safety valve tight end too, and that's going to open things up. Um, not a PPR guy necessarily, but he's Beckham, Green Beckham's this stand to score six to eight touchdowns, I think is a pretty fair guesstimate. Who do you got there for number six? preface this by saying my six through three are pretty much interchangeable, but I'm a little bit lower on number six than most. Uh, Devontae Parker I actually have down there, and it's not the player, it's the situation that he's in. It's just such a tough situation to read. You have Jarvis Landry is the short-term guy to own. He's a slot guy. He's got a good rapport with Tannehill. So then you have Parker, Kenny Stills, and Greg Jennings. That's three guys with two jobs. So many mouths to feed. You know, of course, long-term, I'll take Parker. And dynasty formats, Greg Jennings is definitely releasable, I think. And Kenny Stills is the toughest guy to get a beat on in this situation. Uh, trust me, I have him trying to figure out what to do with him. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I like Parker, the player. I just don't like the situation. Oh, yeah. I... I wrote a I wrote an extended profile on Parker post draft, so make sure you make sure you look for that. And and I think I clear some things up there. Um, Greg Jennings is just you know, I think, yeah, he's just a just a way fallback plan. I think Parker's talent is going to be very obvious as this team progresses through training camp in the first month of the season, and I think he's gonna I think he's gonna make some people. 
make some people unhappy that they went somebody else before him in their rookie draft. But anyway, um, not naming any names, I'm just saying. Um, number five, I have Rashard Perryman. I talked about him earlier. Would you rather have Flacco or Bortles throwing your footballs? We know what the answer is. And Baltimore is, again, a team that had a needed receiver, and they addressed it, I think, like three times over there with Perryman, Williams, and Waller. Perryman's the guy that's going to be the guy that's going to get the first shot to be a player. Then compared to Torrey Smith, I think he's a better athlete than Torrey Smith, has the same type of speed, and I think the hands are going to get better at the next level when he's actually getting the ball in stride from Flacco. Who do you got there at number five? Well, number five, I've got I'm a lot higher on Devin Fuentes than I was before the draft. Uh, I felt like that was a perfect landing spot for him. Uh, with Calvin Benjamin on the other side, he's got a pretty similar player to that. Uh, you know, Greg Olson set at tight end, so I think he's definitely going to be one of their starting wide receivers. All he has to do is beat out Jericho Cotri. I think even a random fifth-round wide receiver, if they'd gone that route, could have beat out Cotri for a job. And then uh, the guy you just talked about, Rashad Perryman, I have him at four. Uh, I love the spot that he fell in there in Baltimore. Slides into Torrey Smith's role. Smith had uh, 49 catches, 767 yards, and 11 scores last year. He's going to beat out Marlon Brown. I mean, <laughs> that's just a given. Yeah, I, I really like his upside. Uh, Steve Smith, the other receiver there, is 36, so Perriman could be the wide receiver one here before too long. Uh, Flacco's only 30 years old and had f- nearly 4,000 yards last year, so great offense, uh, great situation for him to fit in. Uh, you look at guys that might have more talent, like Doral Green Beckham, but was a boomer bust guy. The Ravens passed on that because they had such a great need at wide receiver. They went with a guy like Perriman, who was safer. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, it would have been interesting to see if Aguilar was available there for Baltimore, who they, who they would have went with. Uh, but uh, Aguilar went to Philadelphia at number 20. And he's who I have at my number four. Um, I feel like every uh, every dynasty guy has been uh, profiling him since the draft, and everybody's obviously very excited about him. Um it's it, for me, you know. You said you're one to you're three to six are kind of interchangeable. I feel the same way. I got Parker, Aguilar, and and uh, Perryman, uh, but you know Aguilar opposite uh, Jordan Matthews, two just tough, gritty wide receivers who just never give up on plays. Uh, he's, yeah, and and that kind of creative offense there with Chip Kelly. Everybody's excited about Nelson Aguilar right now, and I think it's. Definitely with uh, with good cause. Uh, he was a guy that I didn't have in my top ten free draft. Now that I've had a chance to watch more film on him, I probably regret that decision pre draft. But he just jumped right into number four, uh, and I don't feel the least bit uh, concerned or bad about it. So who, who do you got at number four then? Or excuse me, you, uh, are you well, on number three now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm at number three, and uh, for three, I have Nelson Aguilar. I absolutely love this pick. When the Eagles were on the clock, I actually texted a good friend of mine who's an Eagles fan that that should be their pick and was actually surprised that I was right on that. But uh, I, I think Sam Bradford should benefit from this. You know, hopefully his emotions heal quicker than his body did. Maybe Philly gives him a little bit of a raise as an olive branch uh, after all those trade rumors going into the draft. Uh, I think Aguilar also helps Jordan Matthews' value a little bit. Uh, you know, now they have a another solid target there uh, with more talent than guys like Riley Cooper and Josh Huff. Uh, I'm really high on Aguilar as my number three receiver. 
Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch that Cleveland, excuse me, Philadelphia team. Not Cleveland, not Cleveland. Um, number three, I have uh, Devontae Parker. Like I said, a really extended profile about him that's going to be coming out here in the next week or so. I I, I just think the talent is there. Um, he's the, he, you know, Skills is the deep threat, but Parker can do it all. I think he can play any wide receiver position that you put him in. Um, he also is such a great uh, great guy that can just go up and get the ball. He catches with his hands, which I really love, and he uses his body when he needs to. Um, could use a little more bulk if I have any if any downgrades about him. But, uh, I, you know, and people, people worried about the injury or whatever. This guy missed half, half the season last year in seven games. 43 receptions, 855 yards, in seven games without Teddy Bridgewater. He almost duplicated his numbers as a junior with Teddy Bridgewater in, what, six less games. Um, you know, people think that's he's not going to be a wide receiver. One, I think he's – there's no reason that this guy can't be an 80 to 100 catch guy. I think he just does so many things well and he uses his, his flexible frame – to catch balls in traffic, and uh, yeah, I, don't, I think there's there's nothing that you're going to ask him to do that he's not going to be able to excel at, and, and and I think he is actually in a better situation than Aguilar. I know what heads about that next, but I just, there's other there's other bodies on that team, but I think he is the best body. And you know, speaking of best body, he's actually a really good looking kid too. Uh, who do you got at number two? Uh, at number two, and, you know, one and two, you can kind of flip-flop, but I'm going to take Amari Cooper at number two. You know, his value, you know, he's easily a top-four rookie in rookie drafts. You know, last year, Oakland's leading wide receiver was Andre Holmes, who uh, just under 50 catches and 700 yards. I think, barring injury, that would be Amari Cooper's absolute floor. I think he is probably more likely to be closer to 1,000 yards than 700. Uh, Derek Carr's value gets a huge boost from this uh, pick. Uh, Michael Rivera the tight end that I was high on last year, his value takes a big hit, though, uh, not only because of Cooper, but they also spent a third-round pick on a tight end, Clive Wolford. Uh, you look at Carr last year, 21 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He's a smart young quarterback. Even though he was playing from behind as a rookie, to have that kind of touchdown to interception ratio is a really good sign for their passing game moving forward in Oakland. Yeah, most most definitely. Um, very excited about that pick. Um, I actually have Cooper at number one, so I get to him here in a second, um, and uh, with, with good cause. But anyway, Kevin White, like I said, is going to slide right in next to Elshon Jeffrey and be the be the wide receiver too. There, he does have Cutler. You know, the Bears are going to have to suffer for Cutler for a couple more seasons, and uh, you know, oh well, Cutler's got two great receivers and a, and a pretty awesome tight end to throw to. Um, um, I think Kevin White and Alshon Jeffrey are the same type of player, which might might concern some people, but I think it actually gives Cutler limitless possibilities in terms of what they can do. You know, if if Jeffrey's running the post pattern and they need White to go to go downfield, I think he's got the speed to do it, and uh, and vice versa. I think he can. Uh, I think White has the, the aggressiveness and tenacity in his game to get across the middle and make that tough catch. Um, 
He White actually reminds me a lot of Odell Beckham, but he kind of has the same type of aggression as a George Matthews type of player. Um, I know a lot of people comparing him to Larry Fitzgerald too. So obviously, all all high praises. Um, you know, the one thing that I I think I, I the knock I have on White is just maybe the kind of one year wonder syndrome. Um, he's obviously a very talented kid, a very fast kid, um, and uh, he, he, there's always that weird chance he could clash with. Uh, Mr. Jay Cutler, who never seems to have even a smile on his face for some reason. But uh, that's why I got White at number two. Um, number one, I got Amari Cooper. And, you know, I was really dead heat with these two guys. But then the Oakland went ahead and cut James Jones, saved themselves $3.5 million. And I think they're obviously saying, okay, Cooper's going to be our guy. Um, and, uh, you know, they, got, they they have a lot of receivers on this team, but Cooper is by far the best player um, and I think Mike Crabtree being there is going to certainly help him along as well. Um, and, you know, Chicago maybe profiles to be like an 8-8 eight and eight team. Maybe so does Oakland. But you, you talked about, you know, Carr's maturity and in, in throwing the ball. And uh, I think, you know, as far as, you know, if you're comparing Cooper to what James Jones was last year, I think Cooper's a far, obviously a far superior younger player with fresher legs. And, uh I'm trying not to be too optimistic about the situation because I've been through some optimistic preseasons with Oakland, trust me. Uh, but uh, I'm super excited. You know, Everybody calls him the most polished wide receiver in the class, and I think Oakland realizes that. And he's, you know, he's going to be the leading reception getter of all rookie wide receivers, and that's another reason why I have him number one. He might not have as many yards as White or Aguilar or Parker, but I think he's going to have the most reception. So that is a definite PPR alert for me. So uh, what do you got for us one and two there, Nick? I'll give you a couple of reasons why I went with Kevin White over Amari Cooper. Uh, one, he's bigger and he's faster. So, you know, I think both of them are going to be great pros, but I'll take the guy who's bigger and faster. And also the situations they're in. You know, we mentioned how smart of a quarterback for his age that Derek Carr is there in Oakland. Uh, he doesn't force things, whereas Jay Cutler, he's not afraid to throw into triple coverage. So I think there could be a few more opportunities for deep balls uh, for Kevin White just because his quarterback's more of a gunslinger mentality. Okay. Um, any other wide receivers that you kind of on the fringe of your top ten that you that you want to mention there? Yeah, I'll run down a few. Uh, Tyler Lockett in Seattle, five foot ten, one eighty two, super fast. Uh, and uh, just like uh, Chris Conley in Kansas City, who's six foot two and two thirteen. These guys are talented, but they landed in spots that historically are not very good for uh, fantasy wide receivers. Uh, then you got Sammy Coates in Pittsburgh, six foot one, two twelve. You would likely need injuries to either Martavis Bryant or Antonio Brown to be considered relevant. Uh, what he does is really uh, put the final nail in the coffin, I think, for uh, Wheaton. If you have him, I think it's time to cut ties with him. Uh, Ty Montgomery in Green Bay, six foot two twenty one. He's also buried on a depth chart for now. Uh, the guy we talked about in Washington, uh, Crowder, five foot eight, one eighty-five. That's just too small. He could maybe hold value in leagues that award return yards, but probably not in standard leagues. A uh, guy you've talked about before, Vince Mayo in Cleveland, six foot two, two twenty-four. It's not super fast, but he's a former basketball player. He knows how to shield defenders away from the ball. I think he could be a good red zone guy, but he's kind of raw. 
And then one more guy, uh, DeAndre Smelter in San Francisco, six foot two, two twenty six. He tore his ACL in December and only played two years of college football. And those two years were in a pretty funky uh, rushing-based offense there, the flexbone offense at Georgia Tech. So he's super raw, but he's got a lot of physical skills. Uh, yeah, and if you know, I know it's not a fantasy thing, but if you want to see a wide receiver block, watch some Georgia Tech football, Waller and Smelter. Um, you know, I've talked about Green Beckham and how I want to see him use his size by knocking some safeties on their butts. If you want to see somebody knock some safeties on their butts, watch some Georgia Tech football. Waller does it, and Smelter really does it. Uh, these, they, they, they have big, tall, heavy wide receivers on that team, and they know how to block. And uh, that's going to get any coach very happy to see them do that, and it's going to obviously open up opportunities for them uh, down the road. I uh, definitely have other guys like Waller and Smelter on theirs. I could put them in the top ten, but I really like them. Uh, Justin Hardy, right on the fringe. I just couldn't just couldn't do it. Um, you know, I just said Minnesota didn't need a wide receiver, but uh, I think – Diggs is going to be a guy that probably do some returns there. And, uh, you know, if if he does well, maybe they'll relegate uh, Cordell Patterson back to returns and use Diggs in, in that role. I think he certainly has a chance to uh, to do some good things there. And let's face it, Mike Wallace is not going to be there that long. Um, love Vince Mayo out of Washington State. Um, Cleveland, you know, not like you said, with uh, Kansas City and Seattle, uh, you know, historically, I want to say historically, recently not very good spots for fancy wide receivers. Um, Cleveland, too, with the weird quarterback situation. But uh, uh, and, and Mayo's a guy that I don't think he's going to, you know, have 800 yards and 10 touchdowns as a rookie, but I think he's a guy that down the road is going to be a, a very good player for them um, if he can stay there. And uh, I also want to throw out uh, Kenny Bell. Uh, not uh, 6'1", around 200 pounds, but wide receiver out of Nebraska. Uh, another guy that, you know, not a whole lot of uh, college production, but he, he profiles to potentially be the slot man there in Tampa. Um, you know, Vincent Jackson is gone there in the next couple of years. I think he certainly would see a bump over uh, Robert Heron. So uh, I, I keep your eye on Kenny Bell. You know, if he's floating around there, you know, in your fifth round and you need some receiver depth down the road, I, I think he could – certainly be a be a nice weapon there for uh for uh, excuse me tampa he's he's a quick kid and and uh like i said not 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 necessarily a, a an awesome five tool whatever you want to say wide receiver but i think he presents uh, a nice option there for Jameis winston uh in the in the third and long situation that's where he's going to maybe have to make his money uh right away there so uh, let's move on to uh, Nick Ranch, unless there's any other wide receivers that you wanted to talk about this week. Close uh, no, out our wide receiver impact. Oh, well, we didn't hit them all, but uh, well, we, well, yeah, we hit we hit every we hit what was worthy. Um, um, we don't have a six-hour show, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we don't. Yeah. Uh, and if Dan was here, ten-hour show. But anyway, um. Sandy Coates to Pittsburgh, I had him written down to you, but that just I heard a lot of people compare him to Martavius Branch, how Martavius Branch kind of a two trick pony or whatever you want to call him. That just that pick so confused me. I mean, obviously it's nice to have a fallback plan if Bryant gets hurt, but uh the Bryant owner, I'm somewhat concerned about it, but I just don't get how they're gonna use him in that offense. Uh but he does have the size 
so maybe he'll do some do something there. But I, I yeah, he's definitely not going to see too much playing time because they, they draft a tight end too. So yeah, a confusing pick there for me. Um, but uh, I think he does have a lot of talent. Uh, and I, I think I mentioned this earlier on one of our wide excuse me, our rookie extravaganza show. He uses a stiff arm like a running back, which I really like about Coates. But we'll see how much playing time he gets there. Uh, moving on, every week, most say, we'd like to do a little something that we like to call Nick Rant. It's where I give my co-host Nick the floor to rant about something that is uh, bothering him, you know, whether it's personal, internal, or sometimes football. Sometimes food. But anyway, uh, Nick, this is something that we didn't do last week. Um, you've rewritten it now that the draft is over. So what do you got Now, I would guess that it's pretty rare that a virtually unanimous consensus is reached among draft analysts over who is the best player in the draft, but that did happen this year with USC defensive tackle Leonard Williams. So how in the world did the number one overall player slide to the sixth pick? Well, let's look at the top five. Uh, number one, Tampa Bay went with quarterback Jameis Winston. I understand quarterback is valued more than defensive tackle, but you put Williams next to Gerald McCoy on that defensive line, and it becomes a dominant unit. And, you know, usually teams don't get buyer's remorse until the season starts but I guess when Winston posted that picture of him and Buccaneers gear holding a big plate of crab legs just after being drafted, at least a couple people in that organization probably were regretting that pick. Yeah, you know, funny, yes, but still just another bad decision. Uh, next, uh, Tennessee, a team that hasn't been good since they had an elite defensive tackle, Albert Haynesworth, pre-$100 million contract. Uh, you know, Tennessee passed on him to take quarterback Mariota, who I love, but he is a little bit of a project and doesn't really fit their offense. Then at three, Jacksonville opted for a pass rusher. You know, I get sack artists are more valued than defensive tackles, but Jacksonville plays from behind a lot, and when opposing teams are up, they don't tend to throw very much, so that could limit possibly the impact that Dante Fowler could have this year. Uh, you know, I actually don't mind Oakland at number four passing on Leonard Williams. You know, like I talked about with Minnesota, when you have a good young quarterback like Derek Carr, it's imperative that you get him weapons to work with. And Amari Cooper is considered one of the safest picks in the draft. So I actually don't mind Oakland passing on him. But then you look at five, and Washington went with Brandon Sheriff. They say he'll be a right tackle, but I don't know. I think he'd be better off the guard. Either way, that's too high unless he's an all-pro. So the Jets scored at pick number six, getting uh, getting Leonard Williams there. To me, it's no surprise that the top five teams in the draft are there year in and year out because they're drafting for need instead of taking the best player available. Wouldn't surprise me at all if all five of those teams are drafting in the top ten again next year. What do you think, Josh? Oh, I hope Oakland's not drafting in the top five or top ten. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I suppose it's a possibility. Um, I'm glad you brought up what Jacksonville. I, I, in preparing for this show, I, I remember watching a lot of Dante Fowler film a few months ago, and I'm just like, yeah, give me Vic Beasley. Um, and I, so I watched film on Fowler again this morning. I just don't see anything now. Honestly, I go right away to the to the best competition. So I watched Alabama, completely swallowed up by that offensive line. Then I was like, oh, ECU, the ECU. Let's check that out. He was still a lost puppy. I mean, if this guy's a top five pick. He should dominate a team like ECU. I mean, he should be in that quarterback's face, you know, being double-teamed every play and still making the tackle. I just don't see it. Um, 
I, you know, and maybe it's just the the IDP brain that I'm trying to form. He's not going to be a double digit sack guy. He's a defensive end. They they said they said they can move him all around the line. But with your draft as a guy in the top five, you want him to be a dominant player that crushes the edge, that gets you know that pushes 300 pound tackles on their butt. And he is not that type of player. He, you know, he's an outside linebacker. He's not a defensive end. He's not a great outside linebacker. He's maybe a weak side guy. And he's not even a guy that's going to get 80 tackles up. You had Leonard Williams there. Whether you had defensive tackles on that roster or not, Leonard Williams is a guy that can play all along the defensive line. He can be your Howie Long, your, your whatever. He's big and agile enough to play the end. He's big and and bulky enough to plug the middle, how do you not take this guy like you said? Everybody said this is the best player in the draft. And he goes to the Jets. He didn't even need defensive talent. <laughs> and they took him anyway. Well, uh, I just, uh, yeah, I, I don't get it. I, obviously, I said on the pre-draft, or excuse me, the night of the draft round one show, I love the Cooper pick. Would have been slightly happier with Leonard Williams. All the teams that passed on him, I just, I don't get it. I mean, it's obviously quarterback is the big value, like Nick said. But whether it's need or value, I just when you have the best player in the draft available and goes to number six, and I know we're not the only podcast or radio show or whatever to talk about this. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And uh, you know, I think a lot of teams, Oakland and Washington included, are going to regret that. And there's plenty of teams that could have traded up to trade up to get this player. And I I don't um, Yeah. Anyway, best player in the draft goes number six. Well, I, I, it, yeah. And Dante Fowler, if somebody, if I'm wrong about Dante Fowler, I'm sorry. And if somebody has a great film that I should watch on him, please tell me what it is. Cause I want to see him. Maybe I just need to look up his highlights instead of watching the actual NFL, excuse me, draftbreakdown.com films. Because I, I didn't even see him make a sack. I just, oh. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move to questions from the four. Uh, then Nick Rance got me all riled up. Uh, oh, the Cleveland running back situation. I'm sure we'll talk more about this next week. But uh, uh, if you don't already own steak, are you interested in trading into that cluster? Uh, I own steak, and I want to trade out of it, please. Uh if anybody in DFW36 is listening, take Terrence West off my hands. You would be surprised what I'd take for him. Um, I don't think I am very much, but uh, wondering what, what are other people are thinking. I said my piece. Nick. What, what do you think? Yeah, I am glad I have no shares in that backfield, and I absolutely do not want any. Terrence West, Isaiah Crowell, and then they go and add another running back, Duke Johnson, out of Miami in the draft. Yeah, I, it's impossible to see uh, read the tea leaves there and see who's going to be the lead back. It could be switching week to week, just like they did last year. Yeah, just another confusing thing. Maybe Cleveland should dangle West or Crowell in front of Dallas's face to just see what happens. But um, the one thing I will say about Johnson as opposed to to uh, West and Crowell is he is definitely the best pass catcher by far. They're going to get a they're going to get a third third down back in Johnson, which obviously is going to to hurt the hot hand there in uh, in Cleveland or who's not the hot hand. So, um, 
Crowell, I see a lot of Tevin Coleman and Crowell. I think he has that ability to, when he gets into space to make that one cut and gone. Um, West is more a little bit more of a bruiser, but neither one of them are guys that you want in there. Not, not necessarily guys that you're, you know, the best at their position, top ten in the league. That's guys that you want in there on fourth and one on the goal line or just want, just when you need one yard. I don't think they even have that type of player. So that's why that – yeah, just that pick did not make sense at all to me. Um, I that being said, I think Duke Johnson's still in my top ten. Oh uh, uh, yeah, he, he did make my top ten. We'll talk about that and see. Maybe that changes next week. So uh, maybe a PPR thing. Uh, but yeah, it's don't trade into it. Just just maybe maybe waiting to see how things fall. But you know, if you're crazy and you want to offer a, a fifth or sixth round pick for Terrence West to get in there to me or to somebody else. Um, but, Sophia, yeah, I think Crowell is definitely the highest-rated player right now. Duke Johnson in the middle, and Terrence West is, is definitely the bottom feeder. So, if you want to have one of them, I would say Crowell for now. That answer may change every other week, <laughs> but we'll see how that goes as, uh, as the season progresses. Um, uh, Hilton stock in Dynasty. The Colts have a lot of mouths to feed. What a great football metaphor that has become. Uh, have a lot of mouths to feed. I believe Hilton's dynasty value has been partly tied to the belief that he would be with Andrew Luck long-term. Those recent draft picks and additions hit Hilton's value long-term. What are your thoughts, Nick? Um, possibly. I still believe they're going to find a way to keep Hilton in the fold there in Indianapolis, but it is possible that they decide to let him walk in free agency. And, you know, after Andre Johnson's gone, then their starting receivers could be Philip Dorsett and Dante Moncrief. It's possible. I don't see it happening, but they definitely do have to take a little bit of a hit to Hilton's value just in case the situation happens where they were to let him walk. Um, yeah, you know, as much as I respect the team for cutting ties with Peyton Manning when they did, I they've had some really questionable moves, obviously Trent Richardson, and just the way they've been drafting over the last couple of years. Obviously, this is a team that's going deep in the playoffs, so they're they're doing something right, um, and they're getting they're getting lucky. But uh, I, you don't know what's going to happen with Hilton. I if he becomes too expensive, I see them cutting ties. And Luck is the kind of player that Tom Brady is, I believe, that's going to, no matter who is his wide receivers, is going to to make them great fantasy players. Uh, you know, maybe maybe some people may disagree with that, but I, I basically I think Hilton is replaceable, and I think that's maybe why the doorstep pick was made, is they thought he was the best player on the board. Um. But I, I and I and I so I wouldn't be surprised if Hilton walked. Uh, any any thoughts there, Nick? Yeah, you know it's possible. I just think that you need somebody with the speed that Hilton has to stretch the field and open things up for everybody else underneath. I, I just don't think they should. Like you said, it's definitely possible, and he may, you know, he may catch thirteen hundred yards and twelve touchdowns this year, and. And have the production be so such that he just is too overpriced for them to hold on to, but I think they're going to try to keep him. Uh-huh. Well, and maybe to dispute my own point, you know, if they, if 
I said he can make any wide receiver a fancy relative player, but then they went out and got they they felt the need to went out and get get Andre Johnson. So maybe maybe they don't have as much confidence in him as I do. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's I I don't think his short term value takes any kind of hit right now. You know, and if somebody overwhelms you with a trade for him, certainly pull the trigger. I, I wouldn't have any inhibitions moving him if somebody wants to overpay for him right now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I really don't know on that matter. I wouldn't be surprised either way. Um, maybe a little bit more surprised if he walks. But I don't know. I keep going back and forth on that subject. Uh, question here from the forum. Uh, <laughs> it says, down goes Mason. Um does he have any fantasy value anymore? Obviously, Todd Gurley's now in town. What What are your thoughts there? Well, uh, Todd Gurley, he's pretty much, if you took Walter Payton, Jim Brown, and Barry Sanders and put them all into one body, that's Todd Gurley, right? I mean, that's what you'd think, anyway, yeah. from the hype that this kid's getting. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying that he's not going to be a good running back, but he is coming off a torn ACL. Sometimes those uh, it takes, you know, a year and a half, two years before guys are at 100% full strength. So I think Mason, at least this year, and especially in the first half of the year, definitely still has some value. Um, you know, obviously I'd be looking to sell if I could get a really good deal for him, but uh, I, I I wouldn't put him in the garbage heap just yet. Yeah, you know, and there's been some reports that Gurley could miss the first month of the season, and he's not going to be going, you know, he's not going to be practicing full pads or whatever in spring, or excuse me, training camp. Um and, you know, people will debate, well, they use the top ten pick on him. They're going to use him. But if they think this guy is the future, if they think he is going to be one of the top five running backs of all time, they're not going to rush him his rookie year when they already have a, a, a running back that they're comfortable with. And like I made the point earlier with um, with all the teams that drafted running backs, they already had a younger running back on the team. I know people say Jeff Fisher wants the next Eddie George, the next guy, the next type of workhorse, but you need to have two quality running backs in this league to be successful. We all know that to be true, whether that is, you know, whether that's, you know, a, a hit to anybody's fantasy value or not, they're both going to be used. Um, you know, I, I we, there's the same question was posed to us in our Q and A, so you can read a little bit more about that there, but uh, uh, they also have running you know, Mason and Gurley are different sized running backs. And granted, they do the same type of thing, uh, but maybe, you know, maybe Mason, you know, sees the field in third and long as a pass catcher and uh, Gurley sees the field on, you know, you know, the more, the, the more short yardage downs. We'll see how it works out. Um, you know, and maybe Trey Mason can play wide receiver. They don't seem to want to draft a wide receiver or have, more than one wide receiver over six feet tall in the roster, so why can't Mason play the slot? I mean, <laughs> see, see ya, Chris Givens. Um, uh, I think they'll both be used, and this year Mason certainly still has value. Um, and if you know, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. You know, if Gurley, but you know, I don't. If, if you and if you think Gurley's going to be a thousand yard running back this year, I, I'm not going to dispute that. I think he certainly has that capability, but coming off of the knee, I think they're going to be a little cautious with him, and I don't think it's going to happen. I think Gurley is going to potentially be a consensus number one overall pick next year um, in, in redrafts, and certainly he's going to be the first overall pick this year in dynasty drafts, so that's obviously 
the difference in uh, those type of leagues in our projecting minds. So Mason still has value this year, and after this year, I think we'll definitely know about his future. Um, uh, and if you know both these guys to stay on this roster for five years, I think that's that's because they're going to use both. So uh, you know, and if it if it doesn't work out, you know the Rams could be in for another long decade of failure in a tough division. Anyway, I made some of those same points in our question answers, so make sure you listen or check that out and read that on uh, on Saturday. Um, that's all we got for you. Any uh, any closing thoughts there, Nick? Oh, just can't wait to break down the running backs next week, Josh. Yes, we will have Brad Duffenberg, DFW's own running back guru. If you read a running back rookie profile pre-draft on DFW, it was more than likely written by Brad. And uh, he, he's like we said with Alan Satterley, the guy who wrote our help to write the rookie packet. There's not a lot of fluff in our articles. We're going to give you the strengths and we're going to give you the weaknesses, and uh, we'll see who Brad's got for a top ten and see how it clashes with ours. Uh, next week, sneak peek, i got David Cobb at number four, Nick, so don't steal my thunder there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, that's all we got for you. Thank you for listening. This is the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I'm Joshua Johnson. He's Nick Wagner. We'll listen. Check you out next week. Make sure you stay tuned to DFW. Get that member, insider membership because we're going to be cranking out some awesome rookie impact articles spearheaded by our uh, own content uh, director, Mr. Bill Survey. Check us out next week as we do the same thing as we did with wide receivers this week to running backs with Brad Duffenberger. Excuse me, Brad Duffenback next week. Thank you for listening and have a great, great week. Does the boy keep challenging me? So I'm gon' make sure I can drop him Hold him up and cock him Cock him Oh, I'm the one that went I will pull it back I will let it go I will lay you down Boy, keep challenging me But there's no competition So I'm gon' make sure I can drop him Drop him Hold him up and cock him Cock him Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin for a month. Are you serious? I'm dead serious.